you know how RNZ does uh, the bird noise before nine to noon or whatever it is. I think we should um, we should imitate someone. Who do you want to imitate, Byron? Um, for for me, uh, Chris Luxon could imitate <laughs> could imitate Chris Luxon. Aloha. I got bills. I gotta pay. That's that's awkward. Imagine being the staff member that suggested to Mr. Luxon, "Hey, boss, I think you should sing the song." It'd be real relatable with the kids. David Cunliffe remains about as popular in the Labour caucus as a pussycat at Gareth Morgan's house. Look, this is a la-la budget. When my eyebrow goes up, it's a joke. The police still arrest criminals in New Zealand. We've tried cannabis prohibition for the past 40 years. The fact is, that was a boring, useless speech. Sip it, sweetie, I'm getting there. Mr. Speaker, they say a week is a long time in politics. Hello and welcome back to the Iron Duke podcast, your weekly recap of all things policy and politics, where we run you through our peaks and our pits, interesting bits, and anything that fits from Aotearoa and around the globe. I'm Maddie Burgess-Smith, and with me, live in studio, is Principal Consultant Byron Terrace. I felt like you forgot my name there. I it, was, it was interesting. I forgot what you do. That's, ah, fair enough. So you were right, that like look in my eyes where I went like real wide, he, like, oh God, what yeah, comes I, next was me forgetting what you do here. I've got glasses now, so yeah, you wouldn't know who I am. It's, it's crazy. But today on the podcast for you, we're going to talk two really small policy areas, uh, nurses and teachers, education. We're also going to cover small things like the cost of living and also the National Adaptation Plan for Climate change and also listeners it's a real treat this week because it's just maddie and byron in the studio i love the energy maddie kick us off look i'm going to jump in with my pit of the week and that is the cost of living payment there's criticism the government's cost of living payment wasn't well enough thought through and is going to people who aren't even eligible millions of new zealanders well just over a million new zealanders in the end getting 350 dollars a week was there any real thinking that went into this policy at all I'm going to kick off with people getting it overseas. Who cares? Honestly, it is such a stupid piece of policy that it doesn't even matter. Beneficiaries didn't get it. Arguably the people that need it most in our community. That squeezed middle that the Nats like to talk about, they didn't get it. IRD warned there were going to be a whole heap of issues. Revenue Minister David Parker has since said, oh look, they're just operational. It's not my responsibility. Inland revenue increasingly rely on sophisticated software to automate previously manual transactions. People who know that the details held by Inland Revenue are out of date should update them. He's thrown it back out there to the good people in an IRD land to say, your problem, not mine. Mate, it's your public policy. Yeah. Your cabinet decided on this. Yeah. This was your dumb little treat to the New Zealand public that you just tacked on to the end of the budget. Take some accountability for the fact that everyone realises this is just fucking stupid. It's also like two payments of $116, so it's kind of like, well, okay, you might buy a tank of gas or like two-thirds of a tank of gas with that. And it's like, oh, there's 800,000 people who are eligible for it, but, oh, they didn't file a tax return, so they're not getting it. Like, yeah. Sorry, what? Yeah, and Isn't it automatic these days anyway? It, it just it begs the question, was this thought through? And I think it's a resounding... Totally, Byron. And my whole thinking is, sure, there's been a lot of policy over the last couple of years that's been pretty crap because it's been rolled out under pressure. But then you can look at stuff like the wage subsidy, which was actually very effective. And they came up with that over a course of a couple of days. This was announced in the budget, and yet this feels like it was come up with over a couple of days. So spend it on something wise. Don't let it have inflationary impacts. No, if you spend it, it's inflationary, full stop. Because it's just $250 million injected straight into the economy. Bang. 
There you go. Bury it for no, your grandkids. But do spend it because this is the funny thing, right? It's like I do note the media discourse in and around this. Why is this payment bad, you know? Because you are injecting a lot of cash over a very short period of time into an already overheating economy. What do you, what do you even spend three hundred and fifty dollars on these days? It's like it's a weird amount of money. Like it's a lot, but it's nothing. Well, it's one hundred and sixteen or whatever it is times yeah, two. Yeah, so you've got right? to save it up. You've got to make two savings. But if you're that squeezed middle or you're that low income family, you've got to use the cash now. You've got you've got Buy to cash use it now. Pay. Sure. Uh, <laughs> if, for those that don't know, Maddie was actually a child voice actor uh, for Cash Converters. And it will come back to bite me in the ass. That's, that's okay. That's the pit of my life. What's your pit of the week? <laughs> my pit of the week is the languishing malaise that our education system finds itself in. And I'm not necessarily referencing the controversies in and around Tapu Kinga, the mega polytechnic reform. I'm actually talking about more basic things like that. I'm talking about secondary school. Attendance has suffered this year, and principals have warned that more children are regularly absent, often with the support of families worried they'll catch COVID in the classroom. We would expect it to be higher, so that's still 20% of the kids away, potentially. And then you go into Decile 1 schools, or Equity Index 375, (laughs) it drops down in some places to only about 15-20%. Of kids are attending it's school two, that's regularly. That's two in ten. It's a thank you. If you don't do percentages. I'm a fraction. That's right because these kids aren't very good at numbers because they're not at school to learn. And the reason I think this is something that is bubbling away and is having a major, major, major effect on New Zealand, we just can't see it yet, is because all of these kind of issues in education are born when you enter the workforce. Mm. So some data for you, uh, your data boffins out there, the Ministry of Education said, oh, okay, yeah, we've, we've got this bit of a problem, so we should probably design a test to kind of benchmark where these kids are. So they designed a test in 2021, which had uh, reading, writing, and mathematics. As the New Zealand curriculum is refreshed, literacy and communication and numeracy demands will be explicitly woven across all learning areas. And they said, right, we better just you know do a little bit of a sample cohort here. They found, uh, was it 800 kids to do this, I think it was? This really basic test of year 11 kids to say, where are you? This is where we think you should be. You should be able to pass this test. Everyone should be able to pass this test, pass fail. And that should be the benchmark of, of literacy and numeracy. One third of the kids failed the reading test. One third of the kids failed the mathematics test. Two thirds. This blew my mind. Two thirds of the kids failed the writing part of that. Oh, that I'd, can't write, I'd, I'd basically. Be in that two-thirds, well, that's the problem because you've come through our school system. Only like it was only like three weeks ago you graduated, <laughs> wasn't it? Something like that. You, Gen Zs these days entering a public v private education conversation. So the Ministry of Education designed this test, found out, oh shit, we're actually training kids to be dumb. It's not good. It's not good. This is secondary school, by the way, people. When this was made public, the Ministry of Education had the balls to say, oh, don't worry about that. Nothing to see here. It's not a representative sample. Don't worry about it. You designed they this. They took the sample. That's you took the embarrassing. sample. How do, do you, know you say that? If they, if they want a representative sample, what they should have done is not opt out of participating in the PISA testing. And PISA is spelt with one S, no Zs, listeners. It's a standardised set of tests that is run by the OECD, math literacy. And it gives you an idea of where your education system stands within the OECD. In the same way that we rank a whole bunch of behaviours from an economy within the OECD, the government decided to pull New Zealand out of that system. Over the last two years, 
And the reason they gave, it's because, oh, look, it's been a bit disruptive it's for our kiddies. It's been hard. You know, or lockdowns and shit. We don't want to place them under another one hour of testing. So we better not measure because we know the results will be bad. So we just didn't. Yeah. And if you look at New Zealand's PISA scores across literacy, numeracy and science, we have been on this really nice linear slide. You know, picture a graph from the top left down to the bottom right. That's our beautiful graph. It's, it's terrible. The bar's pretty low if kids just aren't showing. Like, that's the bare minimum. Get oh. kids to attend the premise where we will provide the education. Yeah. We haven't even made it to the providing the education part. So the government set a target, really lofty target for attendance. Get this. They said, oh, we want 75% of children to attend. That's seven and a half kids in every 10. That is their ambition. It's a disaster. I, this is a rolling mall. And the problem with education is that this ripples through the economy for generations to come. What do you think parents' role is in all of this? Because if a kid's staying home someone else is accountable so that's a really good question one of the reasons there has been such high truancy in the last two years is because of the proliferation of working from home mm. so it becomes far easier for the parent to say i'm not going to fight you if yeah you, you know fair enough faking sex uh, or whatever. yeah you had a sore stomach like this two weeks ago and oh, i can't be bothered to any to go i'm here anyway so bah. and so that's led to this kind of habit it's like oh it's quite easy to, to stay home Parents, I'm told anecdotally... Because you're not a parent. Because I'm not a parent. Thank you, Maddie. They're kind of apathetic when it comes to the way that kids are learning these days. And if you can't afford extra tutoring, the results will speak for themselves. Your kids can't read and write properly, frankly. And that's a total disaster. So why would you send them to school? You just end up with this absolute apathy in our education system. Yeah, but kids need to go to school for a whole host of reasons, Correct. right? not just about learning, it's about being part of a team, learning to communicate with others, routine, and that is something that we're starting to see when you look at the next generation coming into the workforce. Turning up on time, learning all of that. You don't know you're learning when you're there, mm. but you've got to. And to all the parents out there listening to this, I really do hope that you, you, you are paying attention to your kids' learning because it's really important because overall, unfortunately, New Zealand is sliding, so keep an interest in your kids' education. Yeah, Byron just told you your kids are dumb. On to my peak of the week. Make us happy. Tremendously frustrating is how climate change minister James Shaw feels about the lost decades of action on climate change in New Zealand. Today he announced the first national adaptation plan, which lays out 120 actions to prepare communities for the impacts of climate change. Everything from roading decisions and flood insurance to measures like moving entire communities or million dollar waterfront homes. But the question of how much it'll cost and critically, who pays for it remains unanswered. The National Adaptation Plan. NADAPT. The NZNAP has mm. been released. So I'm really excited about this because we've seen some amazing climate change announcements from James Shaw this year. We've had the Emissions Reduction Plan, which set out a whole host of mitigating activities. This one, this one's more pragmatic. This is about acknowledging the fact that we cannot turn back time. We cannot reduce the sea level. We can only slow it from rising. doesn't matter how hard New Zealand works. Our friends abroad are still going to keep burning coal. And that leaves a lot of people really vulnerable, right? So you've got people who are now more subjected to significant natural weather events, be that fires, floods, tornadoes, storms and the like. And what they've come up with is a bit of a plan for how we better tackle this. Ultimately, it's falling on insurers. What they're saying is, in the interim, make sure you're well insured. There may be a place for government-backed insurers somewhere along the line mm. if a real insurer doesn't want to insure you. Oh, good. And they're also putting the call out to insurers to say, be a bit different in terms of how you think. Yeah, otherwise we'll just create a competition against you. 
we'll just enter the market, we'll just wade into the market with a EQC but for sea level rise. What they're saying to insurers is when you're paying people out, pay them out on the condition that they need to build back better or they need to build more resilient home or they need to build their home in another place. Don't continue to allow people to make the same mistakes. Insurers last year paid out close to a billion dollars in natural disasters alone, which is nuts. And it's a billion dollars to say, go do the same thing again, you silly goose. They're also saying, you know, can insurers provide loans to people? So rather than have to make that claim in a few years' time because the sea's coming through your, your door. And you've got sharks in your fucking bedroom there, loan sharks are pretty bad, watch out for <laughs> them what they're saying instead is can we not loan money to people earlier so they can make some form of proactive yeah, and decision to, and don't have to deal with the loan sharks swimming in their bedroom exactly listeners out there in Listerville I'm not a certified financial advisor I think you have to say that when you talk about money good, yeah. but insurance premiums are getting higher they're now having to start baking in the costs Bacon. of the billion dollars that they had to pay out last year EQC they're putting their levy up by a few hundred bucks that comes through to you as a payer of insurance and then also just Everything else that happens in our economy, inflation will affect your premium. Rebuild times will infect your... Infect. (laughs) Yeah, good. (laughs) Will infect your premium with a higher dollar value. And and look, it is a a real challenge. But to see the government be like, yep, we are going to have to wade into this debate. We can't just leave this up to the private market to to help people out. You're going to have people out there who have mortgages that they haven't paid off and then all of a sudden their house is uninsurable. Or banks won't provide you lending to buy that house. Speaking of houses that are uninsurable, uh, one of my favourite terms in this whole discussion is managed retreat. In the military, we would call that a fighting withdrawal. Where you're just Beta used to be in the army. Uh, reserves. And I just love the concept of these like kind of swanky homeowners, you know, f- battling the oceans and kind of sandbagging whilst unpicking their house and then rebuilding that, it somewhere else. I, I just I love that terminology. It's like you're fighting the sea back, but at the same time Managed tr- retreat to me say something so different. That's amazing. Yeah. Managed retreat for me is you're sitting in your second home. It's a choose lane penthouse here in Wellington and what you're doing is you are orchestrating all the people coming to collect your furniture, all the people coming to undo your house, peel the weatherboards off so that you can put it up somewhere else. Yeah, taking it down brick by you're brick. Managing the retreat. Managed retreat. Very different imagery, but yeah. Uh, yeah. Are you the manager or are you just managing? I'm the section commander. <laughs> I'm the section commander. It's okay. Sounds good. Well, okay. that's my that's my peak of the week. Cool. Woof. Managed retreat. My peak of the week is the government finally doing something about our nursing shortage and finally taking action. And actually, a couple of the things they're doing, I, I, t- I tip my hat at Andrew Little finally acknowledging that we are running out of nurses. He'll be so chuffed to hear in that. In New Zealand. Yeah, no, well, it's good on good on him. Good on the government for getting in touch with Shortland Street, getting them to weave into their narrative. Gosh, we don't have many nurses into this country, so it wouldn't be nice to have some more nurses. Migrant nurse. Yeah. Let's be friends with her. She wants to be here for two years. <laughs> so that she can be eligible for residency. What's that, junior doctor? Your salary while you're doing your bridging course is now being paid for the government? What a great government policy. (laughs) And also, there's up to $10,000 for nurses to complete, migrant nurses to complete their nurses' registration in New Zealand. I think that's that's good. It's a considerable amount of funding that they're putting towards it. Yeah, and listeners, the amount of funding that they're giving to Shortland Street is 
undisclosed and commercially sensitive. So ooh, that is kind of a bit of a mystery. Oh, I'm oh, the yeah. rival hospital show in New Zealand. <laughs> oh, no. I'm going to go to the taxpayers union over there. So the government taking this seriously is really nice to see. There are a couple of bits in here that um, kind of make me cringe a little bit, if you hadn't picked up on that already. The first bit is the minister said there's going to be dedicated support for health workers coming across from uh, other countries by Immigration New Zealand. Immigration New Zealand doesn't have the capacity to provide support to its current people uh, and migrants coming across the border. So how on earth is it supposed to fund itself, staff itself, to provide dedicated support to the health workforce? Redeploy the COVID-19 trackers to track the well-being of migrant. We'll talk about that. Mm. That's been done. Good thinking, though. Great thinking. We'll just chuck that up on the fridge as a really good idea. And the last bit, and I'm going to leave you with this. I'm going to leave you with this, listeners, because, you know, this one just... Really ticks the boat. I think that, you know, here we go. On one side, Shortland Street, $10,000, pay for junior doctors to do their courses. Great stuff. I love that. Nurses are still not on the long term skills mm. shortage list for New Zealand. I say that. Yeah. I just want to kind of leave it with them. Mm. Do you want to do a hot or not? I'd love to do a hot or not with you. All right, listeners, as is tradition <laughs> on the Iron Duke podcast, we've got to do a bit of a hot or not. Yeah, Maddie, absolutely. If, uh, if you don't like it, it's uh, not. And if you do like it, it's hot. So kick us off. From the last seven days, Jerry Brownlee, next Speaker of the House. <laughs> not. He's a bit of a has-been. <laughs> Monkeypox. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Yeah, monkeypox. Uh, you know what? I'm going to say not. That looks nasty. Lastly, this is more of a f***ed fact. <laughs> 6% of parents are not vaccinating their newborn infants. Yeah, not. What the hell? Jeez. It's like a lot of parents. That's, that's, that's way more than I That's 6 in every 100. Oh, my gosh. Did you do a PISA score? That's <laughs> brilliant. I love it. Okay, Maddie. I'm ready. Electric tugboats. Hot. Especially ones named Sparky, right? Hydrogen-powered buses. Absolutely. Bring them on. And lastly, for those Wellingtonians or people in Cumu on State Highway 16 or whatever it is, Potholed roads. Absolutely not. Nice. Really clear cut. Thanks for joining just the two of us listeners. Really appreciate it. Stay warm, stay dry out there. We'd like to thank our podcast editor, Mr. Kai Selby, for buzzing out the swear words and us fighting with each other. As always, listeners, we'll see see you you next week. week.